you'll see we're kind of announcing a, a schedule for the first part of the year. And if you want to take that and use it to uh, hand out some people here downtown or locally that would be interested in this, uh, we'd just love to try and reach out to some more people as we enter the new year. I want you to turn to John's Gospel. I'm going to read a few verses at the beginning and then some at the uh, beginning at uh, verse 14. Now, we're talking about the miracles of Christmas, and I want to talk about Christ as being born in two natures. That's really the focus of the message today, that Christ, as he was born into the world, had a human nature and a divine nature in one person, never happened before, will never happen again, and this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the miracle of Christmas. Now John in chapter 1 begins to speak of this in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without, with, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. Down to verse 9, the true light, which gives light into the world, uh, to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelled amongst us, and we have seen his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is in, at the Father's side, he has made him known. It's hard for me to make the transition from the New American Standard Version, where I've read this for about 30 years, to the, uh, this new English Standard Version, so I have to watch it pretty carefully. All right, when we talk about the two natures of Christ, we need to understand what is John really about in this entire gospel. And the thing that helps us to understand it is his opening words in this, what, what some refer to as the prologue. What is John talking about? He is talking about the beginning of God's new creation. Now, he doesn't leave us in doubt when he brings this emphasis. You see the first three words there in the beginning. That's the first three words of the Hebrew Old Testament in the beginning. Now, in Hebrew, it's just one word, Bereshit. And if you were to go up in my office, you would see a title page from an illuminated text of a Hebrew uh, Bible that dates back to about the year 1400. Mine's only a facsimile. But it is it, it just has over the top in big, bold Hebrew uh, symbols, Bereshit. 
in the beginning. So John's telling us he's talking about a new beginning. He speaks of the word as God the Son who is the agent of creation. All things are brought into creation through this one who is the word, God the Son. This one who is the word is the sole repository of life. All life is originating from him. Then two, you see that he is in the world and he is a moral truth. He is a light to men. He is the truth. He is God's spokesman to men and he is in opposition to darkness. Darkness referring here to the fall and that the fall has not overcome the plans of God the Son in the world and in this case to make all things new. This new creation actually comes into uh, its initiation in the incarnation where we see down in verse 14 this one who is the word God the Son becomes flesh and then later in that text we're told that this one is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only begotten, unique, eternal Son of God. And this one who is born into the world is much like what we see in verse 13, where it says, like Adam, like Christ, they were not born of blood, they were not born of the will of the flesh, they were not born of man, but these were born of God. That would be true of Adam, and that would be true of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, later on, if I get this in there, I'm going to make a statement that as we are united to Christ by faith, what is being said here is true. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must born again. And this being born again is not being born of a woman, but it's being born of God, just like it says here in these verses. So Christ comes into the world as the only begotten Son of God. He is just as Adam was. He is holy and righteous. He is full of wisdom and knowledge. And as the Lord Jesus Christ is like Adam, he has dominion over the created world. Now, when we look in the scripture and we move through the book of John, John is emphasizing these things over and over again. Everything that Jesus does reflects his holiness throughout his entire earthly ministry. His wisdom and knowledge are on display at all times, and, and the question can be asked by the Pharisees, where did this man get such learning having been uneducated? They're marveling. You remember in the temple, when Jesus shows up at age 12, he's asking questions and giving answers, and the people there are marveling at his wisdom. And then, too, he's exercising dominion over the cre creation, and we see this in all of the miracles that Jesus performs. Each one of these miracles is showing this aspect of his having absolute power over all the created world. But all of these things are working in the one person, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And so what we want to see is what does this mean for us in the sense that 
Now, the, God's new man is this Lord Jesus Christ. If what he's talking about is a new creation, and the one he's talking about is this new Adam, the word incarnate, what is he saying here that we can learn from and benefit from? Well, again, that in this one nature, or in this one person, is someone that has two natures. Uh, you see this over and over again in the scriptures at the miracles. What does Nicodemus say when he comes to Jesus by night? Rabbi, we know you must be from God, for no one could do the miracles you're doing unless God was with them. They recognize that, but they would not go the step further to recognize that in Christ Jesus was God the Son residing, that he was more than just a man, he was their Messiah, he was their God. Now, when we look at this one and we say, here's one with a perfect human nature, here's one with a perfect divine nature, and they're in this one person, look what it's saying in verse 14 of Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelled amongst us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son of the Father. Now notice this next phrase. Full, full of grace and truth. Paul in Colossians 1.19 can say of Christ, In him the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell speaking in almost the same kind of a context that we find here in John chapter 1. Now, this Jesus, besides being the eternal Son of God incarnate, in his human nature, this Jesus had the perfect possession and a true sense that God was his Father, and he had that from the conception through his entire earthly ministry. In the human nature of Jesus, he was in perfect communion with his Father, full of grace and truth. What Adam lost when he rebelled against God is perfectly restored in the human nature of Jesus. As Adam was created holy, Jesus is created holy. As Adam was given knowledge, Jesus is given knowledge. As Adam was given dominion over the creation, Jesus is given dominion over the creation. And this Jesus now has a full sense at all times that God is his father and his father is in perfect communion with him every moment of the day. So what was lost in Adam has been completely restored in Jesus. Where Adam was dead in his trespasses and sin, and all of us who have been born of, of a mother have come into this world, and the scriptures can say we are dead in our trespasses and sin, Jesus came into this world as a new Adam and as a new Adam, he was alive spiritually from his conception every day of his life. What does he say about himself? 
I came to do my Father's will. And he's repeatedly saying things like that. The Son only does what he sees the Father is doing. Another case, I and the Father are one. These are things that are speaking about this fullness of communion that Jesus possesses that we're seeing here spoken of in John chapter 1, verse 14. Now, Jesus is always acting as one person. It's not like he's got to think this thing through. Okay, what's my human nature thinking? What's my divine nature? No. They're not blended, but they have come together. And Jesus acts as one person at all times. Now, just think of what this looks like for Jesus mediating God's power to us. What does that look like? Well, here's a number of illustrations for you to think about. The first miracle of Jesus in John's Gospel, Mary's mother comes up to him and says, they have no wine. Now she is saying this to Jesus. Jesus Speaking as a man, says to the servants, fill the jars with water, said they filled them to the brim. Now what can a human person do about that? Zero. But Jesus has a divine nature. I don't know if he said a word, but he willed it. And what he willed is that the water be wine. And the water became wine. The wine steward uh, was given some of the wine. And he says, you made a big mistake. You gave the inferior wine first. You saved the best for last. And it says the disciples believed in him. Now just think. One aspect is Jesus' human nature acting. The other aspect is Jesus' divine nature acting in one person all the time throughout Jesus' life. That's the way it looks. Nothing has changed even to today. This is the way things are right now. Now look at this one. This one is, to me, very interesting as a pastor. Okay, here comes a centurion. Now there's two different accounts of how this took place. But in the one account, the centurion comes and says, My servant, whom I love, is sick, far away. Make it 20 miles away. Jesus says, well, I'll come and heal him. Centurion says, really, that's not necessary. All you need to do is say the word. I'm a man under authority. People do what I say. You say the word. My servant will get well. So Jesus is here. Now, Jesus' body can't be here and there. It's over here. 20 miles away is the disciple, or rather the slave. Jesus expresses to the centurion, may it be the way you've requested. Then he went away, and when he got home, his servant was healed. Now why that's interesting to me as a pastor is 
Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of God. Well, that means Jesus' body can't be seated right here in our fellowship hall. He can't be there and here. But when we pray to Jesus in heaven because of the divine nature, Jesus hears our prayers and our prayers are answered here at a great distance from wherever Jesus is seated right now. Now that's very analogous to what we see here with the centurion and the slave. Now when we get into this, we're speaking theologically for a few minutes. So I'm going to throw out a $10 word for you. This $10 word is called idiomata. Okay? This is referring to the idiomata. Now when we say the idiomata, what we're talking about is the idiosyncrasies that are unique to Jesus' human nature and the idiosyncrasies that are unique to uh, Jesus' divine nature. One is one, and one is the other. They're not blended together, but they come together in the one person of Jesus. And these things do not blend, but the one person acts in both capacities at all times. Think of Jesus. He's, how's he getting around? How's he moving from Galilee to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to, yeah, he's walking. When he walks, he gets tired. When he walks and he gets tired, he has two other needs. He thirsts, he hungers, he sits down at the well, he sends his disciples to get the food, the woman comes with the bucket and he says, I need something to drink. This is his human nature. When you see his human nature, you begin to see he is a, a person who is ignorant of things that are happening right around him. And so a woman can press against him in a crowd with a, an, a, a hope and a desire to be healed secretly. And he knows his power has gone out of him, but he asks a genuine question, who touched me? Just like any one of us that have limited understanding, Jesus had limited understanding in his human nature. He was asked, tell us of the time of your return. He said, no man, hear it, knoweth the time of the hour. Not even the son of man. Only the father knows that. There's an ignorance of things that are not unique to um, that are not a part of his uh, human nature. He suffers and he dies. Again, this is all as a sinless person. He has a complete sense that his father is with him at all times, and yet he has these limitations. Now here's one for you to think about. In his divine nature, how much of the universe does the Son of God fill? Well, how can he fill all of it and be in the body of Jesus? 
Something's got to be compromised, or you have to have these ideas of the idiomata. There are things that are germane to his divine nature that are not lost in his assuming a human nature. There are things of his human nature that are not compromised in the assumption of a divine nature, and they're in one person. So when Jesus is walking on the water, his eternal nature is filling the universe. So his divine person, how many things is he ignorant of? What's the big word? He's what? Omniscient in his divine nature, and yet limited in his human nature. And in his divine nature, he has the power to make how many things new? Make all things new. And as he moves through his earthly ministry, he is demonstrating that he has this power. In the one person, Jesus can sleep on a boat in a storm, unaware of the terror experienced by his disciples. When he's awakened and made aware of the, their, uh, their fears, what is he able to do? Speak to the wind and the waves, and what happens? Calm. Two natures in this one person. This is the miracle of Christ's birth. A man comes for his dying daughter. Jesus willingly comes to the scene, taking only Peter, James, and John. He goes in, and he speaks as one person and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, an exercise of pure creative power. On the way to this meeting, this woman with the issue of blood comes up, touches him secretly. He turns around and says, who touched me? He has limits in his human nature. Now, there's some dangers here, and there is an enormity here to build our faith. The dangers that are here is making too much of a mystery. Can we understand this? Well, what does theology do? Theology is the taking of all the texts of Scripture and looking at them and seeking to make the best sense one can make of what all the Scripture texts are saying about this issue. Basically, I've given that to you. But the, the problem is, is you've got people that are always wanting to know more than God's willing to give them. Uh, I was in the Marine Corps at Paris Island one day. We were cleaning rifles outside. It was rifle two weeks of uh, training for the rifle range. I walked up to the drill instructors. We were cleaning rifles and I said to him, Sir, Private Kinzer wished to ask a question. Speak. I was wondering, you were wondering. That's all I got out of my mouth. <laughs> I was wondering. He says, bend down here. I bent down and he took a clothespin and put it on the end of my nose. He says, go wander around the parade field. He says, wander over to that platoon and tell their drill instructor I sent you to tell him that you were wondering. 
And I walked over to this guy, and this guy's looking at me like, what has this poor soul done to deserve this? And I said, sir, Private Kinzer wishes to speak to the drill instructor. Speak. I was told to tell you that I was wondering. He says, well, just go wondering somewhere else. <laughs> Look, I wonder. I would like to ask questions. But when people ask questions as sinful fallen people, you can almost bet they're going to begin by asking the what question, the wrong question. So we can get caught up in the mystery of Christ's two natures and totally lose the benefit of it. Or we can do this, we can go with the value of a growing faith. Now, we talk about Jesus in his human nature, and we say that it was in perfect communion with his Father at all times. Never was there a moment when the Father was not with him. And now this Jesus is glorified physically, humanly, sitting at God's right hand. And this Jesus, who heard the prayers of the Syrophoenician woman and cured her daughter's demoniac condition. This Jesus who healed Jairus's daughter at the request of Jairus, and on and on it goes, this Jesus is there to hear our prayers. And as just as he could answer those prayers at a distance during his earthly ministry is to show us that he has the creative power to hear and answer our prayers at whatever the distance that it is today between where we are and wherever he is seated at God's right hand. And we can pray for people here in Macon who may be all the way over on the other side of the world and we know that because of the two natures of Christ, these things are heard and these things are responded to. And I just want to encourage you to think this way. What is Jesus saying in his last words on the Great Commission? Lo, I am with you always. How can this be? Because of the omnipresence of his divine nature, but is still acting as one person. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is a faithful and merciful high priest, and he comes to our aid. We are to take all of our sorrows to him. We're to take all of our joys to him in prayer. We think of the hymn, Does Jesus Care?, I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. We think of the song, Jesus, what a friend to sinners, to sinners here today. Now, all of these things are events that need an interpretation and a clear focus. And the clear interpretation that John has is over and over again, Jesus is the Savior of the world not the Savior merely of one nationality or of people of a bygone era, but he is the Savior of the world. 
And as our Savior, we are to believe and we are to have faith and we are to live as his faithful followers and witnesses and we are to know that he is with us always. We are never alone. I'm constantly dealing with people in pastoral ministry, young and old, who feel they are abandoned. And they're never, we're never abandoned. Now, what are these needs in which Jesus cares? Well, if we get very concrete and say, here is a wedding party and they are out of wine, the mother of Jesus says, in a very concrete way, they have no wine. Now, we just honestly, um, growing up growing up in grocery stores all my life, I never saw anything like I see when I go to Publix or when I go to uh, Kroger. You got an aisle that will go from here to the back of the room, and all one side of it is wine. <laughs> I'm not sure that Jesus is going to turn water into wine for you because how much wine's available? It just seems like there's an abundance of wine. But the point is, what is your need? And it's as concrete as this. That's why I start with this one of wine. It's a concrete need. What are your needs? You bring them to Jesus in prayer. We think of our children. Jesus healed Jairus' daughter. He healed the widow's son. He healed the Syrophoenician's daughter. He said to the disciples, suffer the little children to come unto me. We pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren. We pray for all of our children. We pray for other people's children. We talk about our siblings. Here's Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They're bringing Lazarus to Jesus' attention. And Jesus exercises his created power and raises him from the dead. Mary says, I know that he'll be raised on the last day at the resurrection. That's true too. But the point is, Jesus has cared about our brothers and our sisters, our siblings. How about those who are abused? He was abused. Terribly abused. Emotionally abused. Physically abused. And Jesus knows how to come to people who are abused. There are those who are falsely accused. And then just sadly, there are Christians who are innocently accused, or rather sinfully accused. What they're accused of, they've actually done. That does not cut them off from Jesus' presence and Jesus hearing their prayers. There are people who are falsely imprisoned as he were, and there are those who are sinfully imprisoned where they should be. And that does not cut them off from the mercies of God in Christ Jesus. You think of the aged. <clears throat> the nuances of being old. And Jesus got his disciples, and he points to the widow, and he says, see that woman? She put her last shekel in there. How much did she give? Jesus knows the needs of the aged. He's concerned for the helpless and the infirm. He raises those who are born blind. People are born in all kinds of sad conditions. Jesus knows. 
Jesus cares. The disease, we think of our friends with cancer, he dealt with those who had leprosy. All of this to come to say Jesus is the savior of our life. He's the savior from our sin. He's the savior from our death. And he's the savior that because of his power is going to bring a new creation and resurrection. When we think about Christmas, we need to think of the miracle of Christmas, that the eternal Son of God was made man, or as John says, the Word became flesh. As we look at these things, may it deepen our appreciation and our celebration of all God has done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to look, to see where the scriptures lead, and to pull these things together with a sense of meaning that they might have power in the way we live every day. Help us to hold on to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what life situation may be, knowing that he has been tempted at all points, yet without sin, and is able to come at our time of need. We pray and give thanks in his name. Amen.